Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. We are so thrilled to be back after taking some time off for the holidays to rest, reflect, and spend time with family and friends. But I'll be honest, while I love a good days-long holiday stupor as much as the next guy, I've really missed making the show. It was a good reminder for me of how much this work regularly feeds my curiosity, my sense of playfulness, my excitement, and my magic. Thank you to all of our listeners, new and old, for tuning in and staying with us. Shout out to the Witch Wave podcast who sponsored us in the fall. If you haven't already, please consider supporting us on Patreon, which will allow us to continue making the show for many moons to come. There we are brewing up gorgeous bonus content in the form of dream work exercises and guided meditations for your continued listening pleasure. Today's episode is one that's truly very near and dear to my heart. My husband, Daniel, and I had the pleasure of visiting Larkspur Conservation and Natural Burial Ground here in Middle Tennessee in early December, where we met Executive Director John Christian Pfeiffer for a tour of the grounds, followed by today's forthcoming interview. John Christian and my husband were serenading each other with 80s rock ballads within minutes of meeting, which allowed me an exhale of relief. I have so much respect for this person and his work, and I was really nervous about trying to make a good impression. In that delightfully silly and disarming moment, I felt like I was in the right place at the right time, and by the end of the day, I truly felt I had gained a friend. And then there was the land itself. She was singing and laughing and communicating with us too. Even in the stark quietude of winter, this place was teeming with life and natural beauty, blending almost seamlessly with each stunning burial site. Every grave was resplendent with different native plants, feeding the life-death life cycle and preserving this peaceful, abundant land for generations to come. John Christian spoke of each person buried there with a loving familiarity I might expect for one's own family and close friends. He told us their ages vary from one day to 99 years, and my heart both swelled and broke simultaneously. He described himself as sort of a shepherd of this land, tending to each gravesite as part of the flock, maintaining the balance of this gorgeous ecosystem. He was collecting bits of greenery and special items for an upcoming burial service, pausing us periodically to listen to the wind or to witness a particularly breathtaking view. 
For me, this place felt deeply spiritual in such a way that I felt extremely present, connected, and even blissful, a familiar feeling I've gotten in other sacred sites. It brought to mind a recent new favorite quote by Jay Griffiths, quote, I pray earthwise rather than to any off-ground God, and though I cannot tell you the words I use, I will tell you their core is beauty, unquote. Up until seeing the PBS documentary about Larkspur a few months ago, which we'll link to in show notes, my only knowledge of natural burial up until this point was from one of my all-time favorite shows, Six Feet Under, when a major character was buried in this manner according to their wishes and to the chagrin and disapproval of their extended family. This show often comments on what has come to be known as the death positivity movement, a phrase coined by Caitlin Doty of the popular Ask a Mortician YouTube series and founder of the Order of the Good Death Activist Organization. This movement is about normalizing and encouraging curiosity and open conversations about death, breaking down the patterns of avoidance and taboo that we have seen do more harm than good, similarly to the sex-positive movement. For those of you picturing Lydia Dietz, Death-positive people don't have some kind of twisted obsession with death. Rather, people who are death-positive simply believe that it's not morbid or taboo to speak openly about death. Many people suffer from debilitating death anxiety that can even skew into the range of severe phobias. But what we know about these conditions is that gradual, safe exposure to education allows us to feel more empowered and safe, even in the face of something that can feel so scary and uncertain. The death positivity movement focuses on expanding our ideas for burial and ritual around death, acknowledging the limitations of the modern funeral industry. Indeed, many of its practices distance us from natural processes and the ritual experience of mourning and can be harmful to the environment, as well as financially taxing to grieving families, with accessibility differing drastically over race, gender, and socioeconomic lines. Part of the focus of death positivity is on practices and amended legislation that make an equitable end of life a right that is accessible to all. Larkspur is such a beautiful and appropriate context for remembering these more ancient practices and understandings of death. Engaging with the land in this way experientially teaches us that death is simply a part of life and that perhaps it doesn't benefit us to allow our fear to solidify into rigid avoidance. To quote Clarissa Pincola Estes from Women Who Run With the Wolves, quote, in the garden, one can see the time coming for both fruition and for dying back. In the garden, one is moving with, rather than against, the inhalations and exhalations of the greater wild nature. Through this meditation, we acknowledge that the life-death life cycle is a natural one." Unquote. Now, onward to my interview with John Christian Pfeiffer. A quick disclaimer on sound quality. 
I was using a different microphone for this episode to record on site at Larkspur, and its sensitivity seems to have betrayed my nervous habit of note-taking. My magical editor, Misuzu, worked hard to remedy this, but my apologies as you may have to endure the faint sound of keyboard clacking in certain moments of this episode. John Christian Pfeiffer, welcome to Psyche Magic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just excited to dig in and, um, pardon the pun, dig in dig and, in. Um, <laughs> and learn more about um, my dreams and talk about life yes. and all the amazing things that come along with what's before us, but also what's lying just underneath. Oh, I love that so much. I need to tell the listeners that like I've spent a little part of my morning with this person and John Christian, you have already <laughs> made me laugh so many times and also made me cry like at least three times. <laughs> so like we're having a blast <laughs> already. Let's dive in. John Christian, how are you with tarot? Like, have you ever done a tarot reading? Are you interested in tarot? Like, what's kind of your sense of tarot in general? I love having my cards read. Okay, cool. And I have, like, an animal oracle deck. You do? Um, I do, too. I do. And I um, got this game a few years ago that's called Cue Cards. It's not tarot at all, but it's kind of similar to a card game where it kind of helps you decipher the direction of your path. Love. For dummies, right? <laughs> Keyword for dummies. For like, dummies. I don't need it to be too, like, And advanced. I mean that with all the, the sincerity and an endearing way. We're talking about, like, simplicity. Yeah. Like, getting back to yeah. basics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I love tarot, is that it feels like a very natural way of exploration and communication because it's symbolic, it's pictorial, and it can hold lots of different meanings. Sure. I love that. Okay. Yay. I'm glad you're down. So let's pull a card for the listeners. I forgot to bring my tarot deck today, which made me very sad. But thankfully, I was able to pull a card online when I was in the car on the way out to Larkspur. So I'm going to show you a photo, John Christian. So the card that we got today was the King of Swords. So this is the kind of traditional Rider Waite Smith image. Oh yes, oh yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for the listeners, this card is a man. He's seated on a throne that has all these symbols on it. There's butterflies, crescent moons. There's like some little cherubs, and he's facing directly towards us. As you can see, this like really beautiful blue robe. There's like a red cape. He has kind of a stern expression and he has a really beautiful crown. And then he's holding a sword in his hand, just straight up towards the sky. The landscape is really kind of lush too. Like there's mm -hmm. these kind of cypress looking trees and there's mm -hmm. grass or moss under his feet. There's beautiful clouds in the sky. There's birds. So yeah, it's just got this like lush feel to it. Okay, so first take, like when you see this card, what do you notice? What happens for you? I find somebody that is, or what I feel or see in the image is someone that is seated in there and comfortable in their existence, but mm. also in a place of knowledge and power. The word power, power is, is like complicated one. for me, mm -hmm. but this looks like a wise person that you would come to that would protect you, but also be able to offer you guidance and wisdom and help. Yes. 
When I look at the King of Swords specifically, because each of the King cards for all the different suits of tarot have like a different feel, this one feels like just a very safe image. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's the colors of the yeah. card. Maybe it's the imagery of kind of these feminine archetypes, like the butterflies and the moon mm -hmm. that surround him. It's like a sense of being balanced in his energy. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't get into overly masculine or even toxically That's masculine. Correct, no. Like it just feels very even, balanced. I don't get sex necessarily from this other totally. than the word king. Same. So, yeah. I agree. And there's something that feels important about that here specifically. And then there's also just all of the little nods to nature mm -hmm. in this card. They're yes. everywhere. Almost as if he's sitting on a mountaintop mm -hmm. with these evergreen trees growing below him. Yeah. Almost as if he's bigger than yeah. or one with. Yes, and, you know, the suits um, in tarot. It's kind of like me sitting up at Larkspur on the hill. I mean, truly. Kind of like, oh, yeah. I did say, One I was like, with. oh, my gosh, that is kind of, like, weird. I feel so, like, in a way isolated, but with this knowledge that I can give. Yeah, when you said one with, I, that really struck me. And swords in tarot they can be kind of a fraught mm -hmm. suit because it's this instrument of power, which can be problematic. But at the same time, it's an instrument of knowledge and truth. Mm -hmm. Like the sword is able to slice through all of the pieces of information that maybe don't matter or just aren't necessary to get to the core mm -hmm. of something. Mm -hmm. So swords and tarot are all about like mastering knowledge and mastering the intellect. Mm -hmm. Like when I look at a card like this, I think about someone who has done a lot of really hard work and learned to have mastery over a set of skills and knowing that, as you said earlier, is helpful to others mm -hmm. and that others come to them for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, King of Swords, <laughs> we will keep him near us during this interview to see if there's any more feelings or messages from him. But I thought that was a pretty powerful card. Moving into a little bit more of our dreams mm -hmm. talk. Mm -hmm. So I would love it if you could just share with us whether you're a dream tracker kind of person, like whether that's something that feels interesting to you, if it's something you have any practices around, like are dreams something that you've paid attention to in your life? I've always paid attention to my dreams mm -hmm. and dreams are something that are quite vivid for me generally. And I don't know, I've always tried to decipher or understand what could have brought me to have a particular dream sure. or what experience I could be having in that dream, yeah. whether or not, and how connected to my own physical self, waking self, that dream is, you know? Yeah, I do know. Well, because sometimes we're dreaming about things that feel very equivalent to something that we're going through in life. Like there's a very clear depiction of something. But then sometimes we're having a dream that puts us in a completely opposite context. Maybe I'm behaving in a way that I normally would never in my waking life. Mm -hmm. There's something interesting there too. And now I'm thinking about King of Swords and like how dreams can serve to help us find more balance in our perspective sometimes. So that may be part of what we're meant to talk about. I feel like there is a power in holding on to a dream and trying to understand what the message, underlying message is. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in my dream, it's always kind of a, a moment of reassurance. Okay. Almost. Yeah. And then from there, I ask you, is there an example of that that you would want to share? Flight appears mm -hmm. a lot in my dreams. Mm -hmm. Flight or floating. Sometimes I feel that it's a 
form of protection. Yeah. Or a form of, uh, it's, it's a way that I can escape mm. situations. Okay. But at the same time, I always feel like in the waking world, when I try to discern what those floating or flying dreams mean, yeah. you know, I see it as a rising above. Mm. In observance, to better understand. Like, I have the weirdest, like, times when I'm, I mean, I have dreams where I'm flying or I'm, like, at Walmart or something, and, <laughs> you know, I'm something's going on, and I'm looking for something, and then I see somebody there, and maybe all of a sudden I'm in my underwear. And, oh, we've all been there. Or something, you know. Yes. I've peed my pants. Who knows? Yep. Something that's that taps into why I feel embarrassed. Shame. Yes. Shame. shame. Yep. And then I have this moment of, it's almost as if whatever's happening in the dream, the story of the dream is, it's this bully figure. And then I just begin to leave the ground. Yeah. And I'm flying through Walmart mm. and I'm on my way over to um, the bicycle section because, you know, I need a new Huffy. Nice. Uh, don't we all? But the movement is very slow. Hmm. And I have some dreams where I am walking and then I can just jump. And I know I'm not flying. I'm just jumping. But it's a very long, extended jump. Yes, okay. As if I leave one place and move on to another. Mm -hmm. Other dreams that include this floating, this hovering, this flying. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of memories from childhood where my school bus route as a kid, you're really familiar with that road that Absolutely. you take. Absolutely, you know, like every each day. like bump. Exactly. If I'm sitting flat on the ground, yeah. but hovering, yeah, and I'm in an invisible car, mm. and I just float and hover along and go over all the little bumps mm-hmm. down that road that I've been on so many times. Mm. But at the same time, I'm in complete power, and I'm doing something that is out of touch with the reality that I have in the waking world, but. I think it signifies something that I'm either escaping, Mm -hmm. rising above, Mm -hmm. getting away from, or moving through. Mm -hmm. When I hear you talk about this, two things. One is that so often I've heard people say that experiences of flying in their dreams are something that really like stays with them. Like it's something they find themselves thinking about or even wanting more of. This sense of, wow, In a way, if my spirit wasn't bound by my body, this is what it would feel like. Mm -hmm. Like that I could just like move in this like very free Mm -hmm. way. Especially when you outline this like very stark contrast in your dreams between one, this very earthy, messy human experience of like, shame or embarrassment. Exactly. Like it is like visceral. I've pissed my pants at Walmart, y'all. Walmart. Yeah. Yes. So on one hand, that is just so human. Even as I think about it right now, I feel that visceral kind of stomach sinking feeling mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And so I, on one hand, I'm melting down into the ground, like, please don't look at me. Let me get away. And then there's this stark contrast of, like, power rising above. You were talking earlier about being one with Mm-hmm. There's this illusion of, like, isolation and separation and, like, I'm bad and I'm a problem. And then there's this reality of, like, I am actually connected to everything. Almost like when I'm in flight, I'm also like a blanket, you know? Tell like, I'm a blanket, this. like, overreaching. It's yes. not as if I've escaped 
necessarily or that I'm disconnected from something. I'm still very much of a part of it, but I'm in this sheltered phase. I am blanketed, but I'm also the blanket in the situation where, you know, I'm stuck in Walmart and I've pissed my pants and there's this bully making fun of me. And I'm like, I'm going shopping for a um, bicycle. Before I do that, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to settle myself. That's right. That makes sense to me because you also said that in these dreams, there's an element of like a remembrance or a reminder of protection. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when I access this blanket-like interconnectivity, I'm feeling that sense of protection Mm -hmm. and that that I'm actually okay. Mm -hmm. I lived above the funeral home when I first started as a funeral director in my hometown. And um, I've had dreams where I remember having dreams where I, and I still do, Mm. but I have a dream back to the time when I lived at the funeral home. And while I was living there, I used to actually go out. I would have friends over to this apartment above the funeral home where I lived. And um, we would go out and we would sit on the roof yeah. of the funeral home because mm-hmm. I had like this doghouse dormer, you know, so cool. open the window, go sit on the, you know, and you're like in your hometown mm-hmm. in this really interesting place because of what happens at a funeral home. But I just remember dreams where I would begin flying above the funeral home. Mm -hmm. Very common for me to fly above the funeral home. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. If I was flying to look down and overlook and try to gain a better perspective Mm -hmm. of what I was doing Mm -hmm. or what I was experiencing or how I was helping people. Yeah. But I remember that as a common dream. Yeah. Also, I have had a few dreams where people that I was embalming actually got up off the embalming table and chased me around the basement of the funeral home. And I know that's very strange, but... Probably scary. Yeah, and looking back, and and back then, I didn't think anything of it other than, oh my gosh, my work is really heavy on my mind. Okay. But now if if I look at it and I look at rising up I'm I'm floating mm. above the funeral home. I'm being chased by a corpse with yeah. an instrument that I'm embalming. Yeah. What is this message? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a time for me to evolve and move away from this what seems to be very traditional method? Mm. Because that's what I've done in my life. I've left the conventional funeral world yes. as we know it where we're placing people in shiny boxes and Mm -hmm. embalming people. And I've moved away from that and tapped back into the more natural side of my raising and upbringing, but also in a way to return our bodies to the source, the earth, the soil, in a way to um, maybe create more balance. And maybe that's what the flight's all about. Yeah, exactly. Because you're talking about creating more balance now, which I, like, clearly with the King of Swords is a key point of this conversation, that there's something about returning to nature and returning to the sort of cyclical life-death life Mm -hmm. cycle. Mm -hmm. Because my body then feeds the earth, which then feeds Mm -hmm. more life. And now I have this experience in this place, this... um, container, this receptacle that is Larkspur, Mm -hmm. and this opportunity to go back with this knowledge that I have gained in this experience Mm -hmm. and teach those people in the funeral world Mm -hmm. this 
ancient way of caring for our bodies that does not include embalming and chemicals and plastics and concretes and metals and excessive things that try to mask what has happened in death, but more so finds balance in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's something that I'm very proud of and something that I love to be able to express and give to, back to the friends that I still have that are working in that world. Absolutely. And the new friends that I meet that are working in similar realms. Yes. And then there's also the other theme of this conversation, which is empowerment in terms of knowledge and knowledge sharing. Because as you've mentioned, these practices are actually ancient wisdom. Oh my gosh, yes. This is not something that I've created. It's not new. This is just some ancient teachings and wisdom that has been passed along. Yes. And I'm taking that along with Mother Nature's guidance and trying to solve some issues that we as humans have created. created. Yeah, I'm thinking now about kind of what these conversations look like. Like as you're speaking with people that you know and respect who are in this industry, are these conversations about challenging the system and trying to encourage them to come up with ways to return to these ancient traditions? Like what tends to come up? Like what are you really trying to get across? I don't think that I'm trying to necessarily get anything across, but just provide space for people to have the experience and learn something in it for themselves rather than trying to teach somebody a way to do something. Yes. Giving them the canvas to create upon. Yes. Okay. This is the difference between, I think again, about the King of Swords archetype and how easy it would be to have this kind of I know the way you need to follow me. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is that you're just living this alternative path and Mm -hmm. just giving people the opportunity to see that. Yes, and participate. Yes, so the intention is different. I'm not trying to make anyone see anything or do anything. (laughs) Exactly, no. Yeah. And so in your dreams, when you are flying and rising above Again, like there's something about that breaking through the illusion of this idea that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. Because the sense I've gotten, I mean, I watched the documentary about Larkspur and I've started learning more about like the death positive movement and what that actually means. And a lot of the sense I've gotten is that part of why we got so far away from these ancient practices is that the fear of death just got so rigid and solidified and that all of a sudden people didn't want anything to do with it or any part of the process or even to acknowledge that it was happening. Mm-hmm. I only bring that up to see if there's if there's more that, that you want to say about that. The way we find ourselves currently in today's world in our relationship with death is that we're existing in a place of fear Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to death. Like pure fear, like just only fear. Yes. And how we got there was we allowed all of our own natural instincts to be outsourced to someone else. Mm. This great avoidance, and I kind of find that it's parallel. The rise of the funeral industry as we know it today in, in America, I feel is parallel with the Industrial Revolution and all of the things that happened post-World War II and the Great Depression and Mm -hmm. all of the things. I feel like we started eating microwave dinners and we had AstroTurf on our porches. 
and we had plastic slip covers on our sofas and we separated ourselves from nature where we were once very much connected to and drawing from nature on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, as a more agrarian society. Mm -hmm. And um, we got away from that. And it was accidental. Um, no one did what they did um, because they thought that they needed to escape something in a, in a particular way. They thought they were just bettering. Um, and in the bettering, they lost sight of some of the um, benefits of being connected to nature. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And in that sterilization, we handed away a lot of our traditions and our connections to the land, our connections yes. to death. And um, before you knew it, our generations, um, families had lost touch with what it was like to have someone die in the home and mm -hmm. be cared for in the home and be buried nearby in the churchyard or in the family plot. Yes, which, according to my understanding, really was the norm, like sort of pre eighteen hundreds. That mm -hmm. that, that oh, this yeah. was something that just death happened. Oh, even we yeah. had services in the home. Yeah, and burials at the you know the homestead. Oh yeah, all yeah. The, all the way up into the early nineteen hundreds, this was still happening. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, until we became a population of providers and we started providing each other with things, yes, um, commodities, more, more goods, services. things that we didn't do ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and you see a parallel with the same thing in healthcare today. Absolutely. Um, birth no longer yeah. happens in the home like it used to. Um, the doctor no longer comes to the house like they used to. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and now my mind is going somewhere else, and I'm actually curious what you think about this too. But as we look at all of these contributing factors to like outsourcing these basic human processes, my mind also goes to um, what I have found to be a part of some mainstream religion that mm -hmm. I, personally doesn't work well for me, which is this idea of separation mm -hmm. of, um, you know, all that is spiritual from all that is body right. and earth. Right. Right? Yes. And that this, this idea that those things can't go together and right. that body and earth are, are lowly and should not be considered holy or sacred. And I think that that change probably happened around the same time that we saw all these other changes. Yeah. Because if you look at the root um, teachings of... Um, any of the major religions, you're going to find that there is reverence and respect for nature and connection to exactly. what what a lot of people call creation itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we're, okay, so we're thinking about just this, like, very broad societal distortion that started happening. And I mm -hmm. loved what you said about how, like, this wasn't, this wasn't like deliberate. Like this wasn't anybody's fault. No. This was a natural society ebbs and flows. And so this was a natural ebb. And I think that hopefully we're now flowing back into, okay, maybe we went a little too far <laughs> into, into industry. And maybe we need to flow a little bit more back into the, you know, the nature and the natural. We've been domesticated. Yeah. If you think about it, you mm -hmm. know, wolves... Our dogs in our houses yeah. were once wolves. Yeah. 
my dog, Nelson, who I buried a year yes. ago today, he wouldn't know how to catch and, and do anything for, <laughs> his, for his own self no. or, you know, in, out, in the, out in the wilderness. Right. You know, because he's forgotten that because I'm the provider of food now and I do all of these things. So he would just, if I put him out, he would just lay on the doormat. Like, like let me back in, do? please. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Um, and I think the same thing has happened. I think the same thing has happened. We've just over-domesticated ourselves. Yeah. We've watered down our existence. Office who are suffering the most are people who feel really cut off from themselves and the world around them. Mm-hmm. They're not spending time in nature and they're not spending time in community. How that actually makes us really sick. Mm-hmm. So let's transition now to just teaching us a little bit more about Larkspur and what happens here. So like, please walk us through when you visit Larkspur, what is that like? What happens then? We'll also talk about what a natural burial is. Yeah. So yeah, teach us a little bit about this wonderful place. So Larkspur is really special. We actually created Larkspur Conservation as a nonprofit organization in 2013. And our goal was to conserve land through a revival of these ancient natural burial practices. Yes. Again, harking back to solving some man-made problems with nature's teachings. In 2018, we opened our 155-acre preserve, which is known as Larkspur Conservation at Taylor Hollow. Mm -hmm. It's the first of its kind in Tennessee and only one of a handful around the entire nation. It's known as a conservation burial ground, and it's a nature preserve where natural burial occurs Mm -hmm in a protected environment. Yes. Every one of the graves or burial sites within the ecosystem acts as a moment for active restoration Mm -hmm. of the ecology. So we get to reintroduce these native species that were once thriving here that have been degraded due to agriculture Mm -hmm. or farming or timber harvest. And we get to help return the landscape back to as close as it could have been before humankind got involved. Yes. If you think about, that's one of the topics that we always talk about. How can we get it back to before man touched it. And that's a really, really long time ago. And we may not really have a full grasp of what that looks like, but we can do our best in trying to support the ecosystem and um, create a space that's a living memorial to those that we love. Mm. And um, at Larkspur, when we gather with a family, whether it's a family that's planning ahead for themselves, Mm. they have a terminal illness, Mm -hmm. or they're just out for a walk and hike, we'll gather at the trailhead and we talk about the different species that call this place home and our work with the Nature Conservancy and other land trust organizations to help protect our properties. And we make a walk up into the preserve. We really draw upon nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, We draw upon the natural world to bring us some understanding and some knowledge. And we connect in a way that helps us move through something that has always been so, in our modern world, so scary. Yes. It's a way for us to confront our own mortality in a way that we've seen our entire lives 
with the leaves that fall from a tree and then come back in the spring. Yes. With baby birds that hatch in a nest and then fly away. With mortality, we have all seen a squirrel that met its demise on the roadway. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen how nature takes care of that process. We've all had animals that we might have buried in the yard, be it a hamster or a a beloved dog. And there's a way for us to connect with the natural world and how nature takes care of death and kind of mirror that back into our own lives. Yes, like to reconnect to the way that my body understands that that's how life works. Right. And how nature works. Right. So when someone dies and we um, we meet with the family here at Larkspur, we will go on a walk and we'll allow them to walk through the preserve mm-hmm. into the different ecosystems based on what they desire, whether it's in the woodland or whether it's in the meadow. We allow them to have an experience with nature so that they can choose a place that would be a perfect resting site for their loved one. Yes. Their person that has died. Yes. We gather together generally several days after that initial selection has been made Mm -hmm. and we gather at the trailhead and we take a memorial hike into the woods Mm -hmm. and we come up to the grave site and we find a willow basket or a pine coffin or a shrouded body resting at a graveside Mm -hmm. in this little hollowed out spot in the meadow or in the woods surrounded by trees. Mm -hmm. And we say our prayers, we sing our songs. We express our love for this person, Mm -hmm. and we give them back to nature. Mm -hmm. And that can look a lot of different ways. We have all different types of people that come to Larkspur when death occurs. All different races, all different beliefs, people from all different places. So it is a melting pot of humanity where we can come together for these sacred acts and relearn something that we have lost. Yes. I've said this a few times. Oh, Not really. I mean, but you've got you've got it down, honey. I feel like, gosh, turn it off, turn it off. No, but it's so like you take us. Through I get better and better entire, every time. I, I think. bet you do. <laughs> you take us through the entire arc of like what this process means and what exactly is happening. I can envision it as you're speaking mm-hmm. about it. And especially now, since I got the opportunity to walk through these beautiful grounds with you right before this. You can see it even more. And to feel, I mean, we were smelling this gorgeous fresh air and forest floor. And we were feeling this palpable sense of reverence as you're walking around. Mm -hmm. You find yourself speaking quietly. Like Mm -hmm. you can feel this beautiful energy. And I would love it, actually, if we could speak a little bit about one of the graves that we visited, which was Sandy's grave. And if you could tell us a little bit about that special ceremony. So we came with a lady named Sandy Mm -hmm. before she became very ill and died. And we rode around and we talked about the project and how everything in Larkspur worked. And we got to this high point on the ridge And she was wearing an oxygen mask because of her illness. And she took it off and the wind hit her face. And she said, oh my gosh, I can breathe up here. Mm -hmm. And I knew the day that her husband and her children called and said that she had died. Mm -hmm. I knew that that was the spot we Mm -hmm. would go back to. And sure enough, we did. And we buried Sandy there, her ashes. She wanted to be cremated. Yeah. 
It was her wish, and we buried her ashes at the base of a grove of sassafras trees. Mm -hmm. And in digging the grave, I unearthed some of the sassafras tree roots, and I took those home and brewed them, steeped them in hot water, and made sassafras tea and brought them back the day that we buried Sandy in the ground and her children and guests were able to drink mm -hmm. sassafras tea and there was a five-piece brass band and it was a moment of celebration mm -hmm. and release and letting go. And her family, we stayed and placed her in the grave and uh, there were flowers around the, mm -hmm. the grave site and the trees were golden almost to match the brass um, yes. on the tuba and the trumpet and the trombone. We covered over her grave with pine straw and with flowers, and we marked it with a medallion with her name on it. Mm -hmm. And we recorded the GPS points to upload into our software system so that when they come back in the future or their friends come, they can find exactly where she is within the preserve using their smartphone. Mm -hmm. People need a place to say goodbye. Yes. but. There's a lot of people that want a place to come say hello. Yes. So her family comes back on a regular basis and they'll sit up on that hill and they'll bring her flowers. And it's just whatever someone's experience is. And that's one of the things about Larkspur. We never want to create boxes and mandate the way people must mm. do death. We want people to find death as a way of expression yeah. and experience rather than something that they observe. Yes. This is something that they participate in. Exactly. They create their own ritual, and in that, they create their own healing. Yes. Look at you. I know. We're snapping because that's just so beautiful. That You're right that there is something very healing that happens when I'm able to access a sense of creativity, mm -hmm. even around something that is painful. Right. Like I am creatively accessing this experience. I'm collaborating with my family and also with the land itself. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, even though I've lost someone, I feel connected mm -hmm. in a way that I'm able to maintain. Mm -hmm. Because in my work as a therapist, I've seen so many times that death often feels traumatic when it gets swept under the rug. Right. And it gets put in a box and I'm not supposed to talk about it. Right. That is when those feelings get stuck inside me and don't get to move through me. So what's happening here is that we are creating this ritual that allows me to do my healing. Right. And like you said, to be able to come back and maintain this relationship. So now what we've created is this open green space the family can come back to, the community can come to for bird watching, mm -hmm. the community can come to for exercise and yes. their walks and their hikes. It's open every day. It's accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's just a really, really amazingly beautiful way to approach the end of life and how we can make it better for ourselves, but for the planet at the same time. Yes. It's the exact opposite of the image I so often get that people can have around like cemeteries and death in general, which is that you don't go in there. You're not supposed to go in there. Right. Right? Right. This is instead, this is a place to gather and be together and be in nature. Right. There are no velvet ropes mm -hmm. and barriers. Well, and you were telling me that when you enter the trailhead, there's this 
book. It's a journal mm-hmm. that people can write in. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could tell us a little more about that. Sure. The journal started as a way for us to track what people were seeing in the nature preserve, mm-hmm. be it a bald eagle or oh, yeah. deer or we have fox and bobcats and all different kind of creatures that call this place home. But it evolved rather quickly into a way for people to give a message to their person mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. buried here. Just the other day I was reading one and it was from a young man. I say young man, I don't know his age, mm-hmm. but it was a letter to his mother who's buried here and he was getting ready to leave for college and he was telling her how much he wished she could be here for mm-hmm. this experience yes. in his life. But he knew at the same time that she was with him every day. Yes. And it was signed, I love you, in his name. And there's others that are in there. And some of them are just like, I came to this place for a walk in the woods today, and I've never seen something so beautiful. I hope Mm. that one day I can be laid to rest here. And others speak mention of their person in in different ways. It's just a really beautiful thing. And that's just a a mirror of the experience that you get at this place. Exactly. That this is such a collaborative space and that people sort of claimed that journal Mm -hmm. as a way to communicate. Yeah. There are so many beautiful cultures that do that well. Like I'm thinking about something like a Dia de los Muertos. Oh, yes. Where you have these lovely altars and we have photos and we commune and we speak with our family members. And so anytime I hear that there's a space that's cultivating that, I know that there's healing happening. Yeah. We're very proud of what we've created at Larkspur. (laughs) And um, it's incredible. It is. It really is. It's overwhelming in a really special way. Yes. I will link to the documentary where there are so many more beautiful stories and visual moments for people to get to see. But I wonder if you could also share a little bit with us about how you came to this field. I know you had interest in this even as a child. Mm -hmm. So if you could tell us about that. I grew up on a farm in West Tennessee. I was one of three boys and um, my parents and my grandparents, my whole family, we were very connected to the landscape Mm. from cattle to all kinds of livestock and growing our own food. And um, growing up in that experience, I was really dialed into the cycle of life Mm -hmm. from a young age because of that. And um, I think that that made me revere nature Mm -hmm. in a really special way. I always thought everything was extremely special regardless of what it was, Mm -hmm. whether it was a flower or a bush or a tree or a a pig on the farm or a squirrel. Living thing. Yeah, a grasshopper I found in the water bucket. And I started caring for anything that had met its demise. And I created this little cemetery in the woods near where I grew up. And, um, It just really evolved into me telling my parents in seventh grade that I wanted to be a mortician, not fully knowing what that was, but um, I probably saw something about it in a movie. Who knows? But right after high school, my grandfather died Mm -hmm. and I quickly became involved in going to the funeral home and investigating whether or not this would be something that I wanted to do or wanted to educate myself on. And it was. And I went into Mortuary College Mm -hmm. in Nashville, a really old school and Um, Ended up getting a scholarship and um, worked in the funeral industry for 15 or so years. And then made a leap of faith when I got to a point where I was like, there's got to be more that I can do. And I can't necessarily do it in this sandbox. Mm. So I need to get out of this sandbox and move to another one. 
And in doing that, I made a leap of faith, connected with Becca Stevens, who started Thistle Farms. Yes. I um, traveled around the country and spoke with people about what their end-of-life wishes were, what their dislikes were. Mm. And Larkspur was created and has just been a gift, and it just keeps on giving. And I hope to be able to give back to Larkspur in many, many ways, too. Yeah, even in the way that you talk about this place, there's like a cyclical nature of mutual Mm -hmm. benefit and respect, Mm -hmm. like with the land itself. Mm -hmm. And I'm also just so struck by you mentioning your leap of faith and that is the sort of consistent, like flying. Floating. That's been happening for you. Yes. Yeah. That like, this is what this means. Mm Mm-hmm. And I might have pissed my pants a couple of times. You know what? There might be a little bit of a through line there. And that's, uh, who has not been there? Who wouldn't? It's been an incredible journey. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I love that about you, John Christian, because I oftentimes, I fall prey to this too, where sometimes I feel like when I'm talking about these really big subjects that I need to be so serious. Mm -hmm. And I love that you are always reminding us that we can laugh and that we should laugh. Oh gosh, yes. And that we should celebrate. Mm -hmm. So many of the ceremonies that you shared with me are actually celebrations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they all are. Yes. I mean, there's been sad ones, but there's always been um, lightness in each one. Yes, that we have to have all of the experiences. We have to make room for all of the feelings. When you move through it and come out on the other side, you come out lighter. We can see it on people's faces in the experience when they leave Larkspur. Yeah, this experience has been incredibly powerful for me. Walking through these grounds today honestly left me speechless. And it's a place that I can already feel like calling me back Mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't wait to visit. Come back anytime. Again, yes. Thank you. I do have one additional question. And again, this is true of everything we talk about. But I am curious about why this process has been like illegal. It's never been illegal. It's never been illegal? Never been illegal. For some reason, I thought I had read something about that. Apparently not. Natural burial has occurred throughout time. And natural burial is occurring now. It takes the funeral industry and gatekeepers to become involved in allowing or creating space for a project like Larkspur to happen. Yes. Embalming is not required. Caskets are not required. Vaults are not required. A funeral director is not required. You don't have to use any of those things. Wow. There are benefits to using the expertise of someone who has walked alongside people through death. Sure. Absolutely. And we teach people that there's value in some of the things that are being offered. Yes. Um, But there's some things that maybe you don't want. And if that's you, that's good. And another thing is, you don't have to be buried at Larkspur. We're not standing on a pulpit and saying, this is the way it must be. Mm -mm. If you have other ways that you want to honor your existence and you have a send-off planned that involves X, Y, and Z— by all means, do what's important to That's you. That's right. But it's also extremely important to have the conversation, to have the knowledge so that you and your family can make the best decision for each other when it comes to the end of your life. Yes. To me, when I think about what I've learned about the death positivity movement, that's one of the things that strikes me the most is that there's this need for normalization of explicit conversation and knowledge about our loved ones and what they want. Right. Yeah. I use the word death a lot and died or dying Mm -hmm. rather than pass away or 
mm-hmm. gone on to a better place. Yes. Because that's kind of a part of that illusion that we create to kind of put a Band-Aid over something mm-hmm. when that wound needs to breathe. Absolutely. Yeah, I wonder... I think it's actually maybe a common misconception that natural burial is illegal or that has been illegal. And that's not true. It's a complete misnomer. Misnomer. Yep. Rules created by cemeteries and funeral homes generally. Yeah. We've talked so much about what happens here at Larkspur, right? Mm -hmm. And how if someone does want to have a ceremony here, the people that run this place are creating these beautiful, creative moments like the sassafras tea. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of what makes it so very special. And like you were just saying, we want to honor what people wish for for the end of their lives, no matter what that looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if you have guidance for people who maybe are interested in natural burial, but maybe live in some other part of the country or the world. How can they learn more? Sure. I would recommend that folks reach out or visit online mm-hmm. the Conservation Burial Alliance. Okay. Also visit the Green Burial Council. Mm. Um, both of those are community resources that help connect people to, or consumers, I hate to use that word, but people in that sense, to the other people or providers that are actually doing the work of providing a more ecologically responsible end-of-life option. Mm, Fabulous. Perfect. I knew you were going to (laughs) have good resources for us. Yes. Or just hit me up at Larkspur and we will help connect you. We get calls all the time, especially since the documentary. We have people that will reach out and say, hey, I love what you're doing. I want to, can I be buried there? And we'll say, well, actually, you know, where you live, there's this place. Yeah. And we would suggest you reaching out to them. You can always come to Larkspur, yeah. but this is a place that's closer to you. So Yes, and that we can be a resource yeah. as well. Yeah. It's beautiful. Last thing, please tell listeners just where they can find information about Larkspur, follow along, social media, stuff like that. Go to larkspurconservation.org. Mm-hmm. And you can also find us on Instagram at Natural Burial. Mm-hmm. And we're on Facebook at Larkspur Conservation. That's L-A-R-K-S-P-U-R. Like lark the bird and spur on a cowboy boot. Put them together and you have <laughs> the spur on a lark's foot. It's also a, a delphinium species that grows native here. Really? It's a wildflower. So that's that's where we get our name, the Larkspur. The Larkspur. But yeah, reach out if you have more needs and want to continue this conversation. I'm always happy to chat, and so are my team. So everybody. Amazing. Amazing. John Christian, thank you so very much. Thank you. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, John Christian Pfeiffer, for your inspiration your hospitality, and your silly songs. I'm so glad to have met you. If you believe in this work and want to support the continuation of our show, please join us on Patreon. There we are building a community where you'll find bonus dream work exercises, guided meditations, community events, and so much more. The link to join is in our show notes. Don't forget, if you leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be automatically entered into a monthly contest to win a free 20-minute shadow work tarot session with yours truly. 
But please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you. And you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. Link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Grace Fuse and Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.